So who is Jesus? A variety of answers, a variety of responses, probably even in this room, a variety of answers. Our lives, I believe, are marked by questions. And the answers to those questions determine the direction of our lives. Questions like, what am I going to be when I grow up? Questions like, who am I going to marry? Questions like, in and out or Chick-fil-A? <laughs> the really important things. Can a pregnant woman drive in the HOV lane on a highway? Those really th- No, no, not a couple of those. Questions like, who is Jesus and what does the answer to that question mean? For life, for me, for us. It's a question that some of us here today, we, we, we feel like we've got it figured out. We've been seeking the answer to that question for a while and we, we feel like we've come to some place of, of conclusion and knowledge and, and we trust the Bible on that. Others of us in a room like this, we're like, I don't know, I'm, I'm still figuring that out. I still have questions for my question before I can even get an answer. And that's okay. And if you're here and that's where you're at, I would just ask you to join us for these next five weeks as we talk about this, process this together. And maybe you will get some answers. Maybe you will get some insight. But for all of us, I think this is a journey that is so worthwhile because Jesus, unlike any other man, person, authority, God figure, whatever, in all of history, has done more to impact this world and to make a difference and to change things. And so he's worth listening to. He's worth seeking out. He's worth examining to see who he is. In our book, Who Is This Man? I was doing something this week and I was was reading through the endorsements and and the people who wrote about this book. I thought it was interesting, the variety of people who, who wrote. So there's this one theologian named Jeff Foxworthy. He says, this is the most compelling and thought-provoking book on Jesus I have ever read. Whether you are a believer or a skeptic, this book brings to light all the fascinating ways this man changed the world forever. Ernie Johnson, he's a sportscaster, TNT, TBS. He said, the first thing I noticed about John Ortberg's latest work was the title, not who was this man, but who is this man, Jesus While John does a masterful job of explaining the biblical Jesus, where he's at his absolute best is the way he shows us who Jesus is this year, this day, this hour, this moment. And he says the book will encourage, inspire, and flat out blow you away. Ron Johnson, who is the CEO of JCPenney, he had this incredible line in the middle of his. He said, it is incredible to comprehend the impact that one person leading a small group of 12 people for three short years has had on our world. His impact over 2,000 years later is more profound on the day-to-day lives of people, believers or not, than the impact of any other person at any point in history. Rich Carlgaard, the publisher of Forbes magazine, said this, The third step in any 12-step recovery program asks us to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand Him. But who is God, really? And how can we understand Him well enough to trust Him? Without Jesus... We can only guess. Jesus, the Son of God, came to show us God's character. Pastor John Ortberg brings fresh insight into the life of Jesus on earth through which we can better grasp the nature of God in heaven. 
And I thought, isn't that amazing that these people from different uh, arenas of life, different spheres of society could, could all come to the same conclusion to say, we've got to figure this out. We've got to figure out the answer to this question because it matters so much. The reality is, and I, I love how Ortberg writes in his book, just even about our perfect weathered state, California, here. And he says this. He says, San Francisco has its name because of a man named Francis was once a follower of this man, Jesus. Our state capital is named Sacramento because Jesus once had a meal with his followers, the Last Supper, that became known as a sacrament. He says, you can't look at a map without being reminded of Jesus. You can't go through a month, even in our calendar, without being reminded of the impact of Jesus on our world, on our culture. Tomorrow we celebrate one of those great men who, who because of the influence of Jesus in his life, lived this truth out. Watch this video real quick and be reminded. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith. We will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. As he began quoting that passage from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 4, that passage is in the context of God saying, comfort to my people who are hurting. And it's in the context of saying, there is coming a Savior, a Messiah, who will set his people free. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. got this idea that through Jesus and the example and the call that, that he had on our lives, we see that all men are created equal. All humanity is created in the image of God. And Jesus gives us that. And Jesus has set that tone and different people have lived that out in different ways. And Jesus also showed us what true compassion is. And through the influence of Jesus, we have things in our society today like the Red Cross, the Salvation Army. We have hospitals as we know them. And many, many hospitals across this world from the earliest days were started by people following Jesus. Following his way and wanting to show his compassion to the world. Jesus was a teacher. And monasteries a long, long time ago became places of learning. From monasteries came universities. Universities like Oxford, Cambridge. Universities in Rome, Naples, Vienna, Heidelberg. Universities here like Harvard, Princeton, Yale. All started with the purpose of the Jesus movement behind them. We have his influence in science, and many of the pioneers of science viewed their work as learning to think God's thoughts. Names like Galileo, Pascal, Pasteur, Newton. 
The impact of Jesus on our world cannot be overestimated. And so we're going to take five weeks, we're going to read this book together, but on the weekends we're going to come and we're going to look at the book of Mark. We're going to go through the book of Mark and we're going to see these stories. And like I said last week, in the book of Mark, it's an action book. It's 40 times this word immediately. Jesus is going to do this, then immediately he goes and does this. So today I want us to begin just with three snapshots of Jesus' work and Jesus' impact on the world of his day and how that still impacts us today. So take your Bibles, Mark chapter 1. And we'll begin reading in verse 21. It says that they went to Capernaum. Remember from last week, who are they? Well, Jesus has just called four fishermen. He's called Simon, who we know is Peter. He's called his brother Andrew, James, and John. So there's four fishermen. I mean, this is like Jesus' posse. I mean, he couldn't do any better than that. I don't know what the deal was. This is who Jesus has with him. Four fishermen. They go to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So get this, Jesus is teaching and it says quickly, the people were amazed at his teaching. It doesn't say that they were saying, well, Jesus, you know, I think or, or my opinion that they're not saying, Jesus, if this is true, then what about? They're not full of questions. It's almost like they're speechless. They're amazed. They're astonished at his teaching. And they're like, who is this man? And where do these teachings come from? Was it what he was saying? Yes, I think so. It was what he was saying. Was it how he was saying it? Yes, I think it was all of that. They were amazed at who Jesus was because it says he taught as one with authority. Power, strength, the things that he taught required a response. The things that he taught made a difference, impacted life, changed things. It says not like the teachers of the law, not like the scribes. See, the religious people of that day were teaching all kinds of things. But the teaching of that day often left the people feeling bad. Where Jesus' teaching left the people feeling alive feeling hopeful. And so Jesus is teaching with authority. Verse 23, as he's teaching, he's interrupted. It says, just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, sounds like something for the, from the exorcism, but we'll, we'll keep moving on. He cried out, verse 24, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So Jesus is teaching and all of a sudden he's violently interrupted with a man screaming and this man screaming says, who are you? No, he doesn't say that. The man screams, who is this man? No, he doesn't scream that. What we understand is this impure spirit crying out of this man knows exactly who Jesus is, knows exactly who he's dealing with, knows him by name. You're Jesus of Nazareth. You're the Holy One of God. He knows exactly who's on the scene and exactly what is going on. And even the spirit is afraid. And Jesus responds in some of my favorite words of scripture that I use on my kids all the time. Be quiet. (laughs) Powerful words. If you want to leave today, say, I memorized part of a verse. Be quiet in Jesus' name. 
Interestingly, though, these words are full of power. These words are not just trite words. These are the same words in just a few chapters. Mark 4, Jesus is on a boat in the middle of a stormy sea, and Jesus says, to the storm, be quiet. And it says, the waves calm, the winds stop. These are words of power, words of authority. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Jesus is showing his authority, his power. In verse 27 it says, The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him? And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. See, he taught with authority, not just with empty promises. And he, he taught not just interesting life lessons or four steps to have a happy life or whatever. He taught with authority and things began to change. And the people were amazed. The people were astonished. And they always left thinking, who is this man? What is going on here? What does this mean? Just, just a question. When is the last time you were amazed by Jesus? When was the last time you were overwhelmed and you just thought, I, I can't even believe this. This is almost too good to be true. See, that's what's going on here. That's what's happening here. Okay, think in your mind. Have you ever had a great teacher? Somebody just made a huge impact. Raise your hand. Maybe it wasn't in school, some other capacity. Okay, all of us know what that's like. And When I think about learning and, and, and just being around a great teacher, I flash back a long time ago to, to being at a basketball camp at North Carolina State University. And I'm in this basketball camp, and one day my friend and I eat lunch quick, and we're, we're, we're like, let's go back to the gym and shoot a little bit more. We haven't had enough of basketball in a whole week. We go to the gym and shooting basketball in this massive gym all by himself is this player from North Carolina State University named Nate McMillan. And just a couple years after that, he was drafted by the Seattle Supersonics. He came back. He played. He coached the Seattle Supersonics. He just finished coaching the Portland Trailblazers, and I think they fired him. But we're in this gym, and we discover that during lunch, Nate McMillan goes and shoots in the gym every single day. So you know what we did every single day at camp? We ran to lunch as fast as we could. We ate our food and we ran back to the gym. And it was me, my buddy Mitch, and Nate McMillan every day. And he would play two-on-one. He would goof off with us. He would, hey, wait, 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 work on this. We had this teacher at just to ourselves. And he was just saying, hey, guys, why don't you try this? And here's a skill. Work on your shot. All these kind of things. He's teaching us. And we're like, this is amazing. It was, it was so cool. But you know what? Nothing really happened after that. I mean, I, I walked away from camp a few days later after spending four days over lunch with Nate McMillan for a couple hours a day, and nothing really changed. I mean, my shot was just as ugly as it always was. I still couldn't slam dunk. Nothing really changed. When Jesus came on the scene, and people began to see and hear what was going on, things began to change. People who believed, people who were touched, people who experienced life was different. 
Because when Jesus comes on the scene and when Jesus comes into our life, He makes a difference. He changes things. And so we see that that, that reality is true. And, and I just wonder for you today, based off of this one little snapshot, and we see a man who had been struggling maybe for years with something. He had a past. And Jesus set him free from his past. Is there something that Jesus would even want to say today? Look back. Look back, something you've been through, a pain, a hurt, an addiction, something someone did or said to you that you still carry with you today. Maybe Jesus, in all of his authority, today would meet you right where you are and set you free from that. And you don't have to carry that any longer because Jesus can meet you right where you are. Those things from the past, you can be delivered from. We can be set free. Transition with me to chapter 2 of Mark. And Jesus, uh, the action continues. But what happens with this transition to chapter 2 is interesting because it now gets into a place where Jesus is becoming more and more and more famous with every passing story. But all of a sudden in chapter 2, he begins to face opposition. There's conflict, and everywhere he goes, there's conflict with religious people, with other things that are going on. So let's, let's jump into this story. Chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, Carried by four of them. So we know these four friends are bringing their friend who is paralyzed. They're desperate to get this man to Jesus. Verse 4, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, listen, just stop real quick. When Jesus saw the faith of the four friends who were desperate to get their friend to Jesus, no matter what, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, we sort of scratch our head and go, okay, they did all this trouble. They climbed up on the roof with their friend who's in a mat and they broke the roof open and they lowered him down through the roof and and they're sort of expecting Jesus to do what? Heal the man. And Jesus looks at him and Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. You've got to be like, did you miss something, Jesus? Like, did you see this guy, what we just did for him? And what we understand is that, that very often those needs that appear the most urgent sometimes on the outside are those things that we think, I need Jesus to do this, and it feels like it's so desperate. But sometimes there's still something deeper. Sometimes there's still something even more profound that Jesus sees. And Jesus says, yes, I care about that, but I also care about the things that go on in the depths of your heart, in your soul. And so Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now some of the teachers, verse 6, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, They're just thinking this in their head. Why does this fellow talk like that? I love that. They called Jesus this fellow. 
Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a good question, right? I mean, the question really is, who is this man? The question is, who does that guy think he is? And that's exactly the point of the whole entire story. And they're just thinking this in their heads. But verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their heads. Wouldn't that be frightening? If I'm just teaching, I'm like, why are you thinking that? I know you're thinking this. And Jesus says, why are you thinking these things? Verse 9, he asked a question. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So Jesus asked this question, and let's just answer it today. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and go home? Which one is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven is easier to say because the reality is you you can't instantaneously prove that. You can't necessarily look and say, oh, I see a difference. But if you say, get up and take your mat and walk to a paralyzed man, you will know whether or not that's true in a moment. So they're sort of trapped. They can't answer the question because they're called in this place. Verse 12 says, so the man got up. He took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone and they praised God saying, We have never seen anything like this. They're in awe and they're wondering, Who is this man? What is going on? We've never seen anything like this. But Jesus has got them exactly where he wants them. And, and, And his point is, in this healing is, is not just about the physical touch that he had on this man's life. It's the deeper thing saying, hey, I want you to get, I have the authority to forgive. I have all authority. And by demonstrating his authority to heal, his authority to restore to full health, he also says, so then when I say your sins are forgiven, that is just as true as well. That is just as true as when I say get up and take your mat and walk and he can do that. Then when I say your sins are forgiven, I can do that. And Jesus is declaring, not with his words right here, but with his actions. He is God. He has the right to forgive. That's why these religious leaders are putting the pieces together and they're worried and they're saying he's blaspheming. He didn't really blaspheme with his words, but he did with his actions. Showed. That he is God. And so it wasn't blasphemy. It was proving the truth of his words. He is who he says he is. And they didn't know what to do with that. And he has the authority to forgive. He has all authority on the earth. Scripture tells us. I told you guys about an incident in my life a long time ago. The first time where I had real authority. Do you remember? I was a safety patrol. The sash, the badge, and that badge empowered me to say, stop running in the halls. And children had to listen to me because I was a safety patrol. 
And when I put that sash on, it was like my magic cape. They were bound by my word. And I had power to enforce it. Or at least I thought I did. Jesus is saying, I have all of the authority to forgive. I have all the authority to, to meet you right where you're at, in whatever state you're in, and whatever is holding you back. And I have the authority to set you free. I have the authority to meet you right now today in this present moment with your wounds and your heartbreaks, with shame and guilt that some of us carry into this room. And I have the authority to set you free. The authority to forgive, the authority to say, you're forgiven, you're set free, now go live. The authority to say you've been shackled, you've been held hostage to some pain or something that's going on. You're, you're that today. The authority to say, get up, take your bed, and walk. To, to change our lives. He has that kind of power in our lives. And this is not a call to say, I need to get my act together. I need to work harder. I need to fix myself. This is a call that says, I can't fix myself anymore, but he can I can't deliver myself. I can't set myself free. But he can do that to me. He has the authority to do that. I love just even the backstory of Mark. And, and I don't know how many of you know the, who this guy Mark is. But if you're interested this week, maybe go read Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 15. And you'll see this guy Mark. He's also known as John Mark. He's there in Acts chapter 12 while Peter's in prison and Peter gets out and he comes to his home. And, and in, in chapter 15, we find out that something interesting has happened. Mark is sort of a missionary. He's going on trips with Paul and Barnabas and he's doing these things. And all of a sudden, something happens. We don't know the details. Mark quits. He deserts them. For some reason, he goes and he does his own thing. And so in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are coming together to go on another missionary journey. And Barnabas says, I want to take Mark. And Paul says, nope. He deserted us that one time. I'm, I'm done with him. I need to go this way. And the division was so sharp that it said, Paul went one way and Barnabas went another. And now Mark's coming on the scene and he's writing a gospel account of Jesus Christ. And in if you read behind the scenes just a little bit, what you understand is Mark is writing and saying, our God is a God of second chances. He's saying, I blew it before God. I, I was going one way and one day I blew it. We don't know how he blew it. We just know he did. And this is Mark sort of being reinstated. This is Mark being able to say, I'm a guy who was walking with Christ. I blew it. But he gave me a second chance. He wrote me back into the story. He allowed me to be a part. He redeemed. He forgave because he had the authority to forgive. Now Mark introduces us immediately following this story to another story of conflict. Beginning in verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. And a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along... He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed 
him. Now there's some things going on here that, that just make this story all the more interesting. A tax collector in that day was the most despised person in Jewish society. Because a tax collector in that day was a Jewish person who basically turned his back on his own people to say, I'll work for the authorities, I'll collect taxes for my own people. He's a traitor. And on top of that, tax collectors were notoriously greedy. And so they would ask for more money than they were even due so they could make some off the top. So here's a guy who's known as being a traitor and greedy. Uh, another part of the story that's interesting is Jesus here is walking by the lake. They had tax collectors who, who worked by the lake to tax fishermen for their catch. So just what if? What if this guy is one of those fish tax collectors? So Peter and Andrew and James and John, they know who this guy is because he's taking advantage of them year after year after year. They go catch a bunch of fish. They come back and he's like, give us our share. And so now they see this guy and they're thinking like, oh gosh, not him. And Jesus sees this guy and Jesus says, hey, Levi, follow me. Can you imagine the four fishermen's response? Like, not him, not him. Do you know that guy, Jesus? He's taking advantage of us year after year after year. And Jesus is like, yes, him. Follow me. Interesting part of this story, this guy Levi, he's known by another name as well. Matthew. As in the Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew right before this. So Jesus is giving us the backstory on some of these guys who end up forming his inner circle, his disciples, his twelve who go out. And it's not people who are based on their good. It's not people who are based on their religious. It's people that Jesus said, follow me. And they came. Verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating in with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They said this with condemnation in their voice. Why does he eat with those people? Why does he have anything to do with those people? Because a religious person, a rabbi, a leader would not have anything to do. He would actually distance himself from those people. But Jesus breaking all of these norms, Jesus paving a way for grace says, no, 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 no. I'm going to go to those who need me the most. And Jesus breaks all of those religious rules in order to show that his mission was to come and to seek and to save the lost, to come and make a difference in those who desperately needed him more than any others. And so Jesus overhears this. Why does he eat with those people? In verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, I didn't come for those people who have it together. I didn't come for those people who are, hey, I, I, I'm fine, everything's good. He said, I came for those who know that they need me. I've come for those who've recognized their desperate need for me. You may have a version of the Bible that says, I've come to call the sinners to repentance. 
That, that, what is that message that come follow me? It's just like we talked about last week. It's the call that Jesus began his ministry with. Repent and believe. It's a call to follow me. Whatever those implications mean for us wherever we are. Jesus said I've come to call those. And, and the scribes were the ones who thought they were righteous already. They thought they had it together. They thought they were good. And Jesus is in essence saying, I didn't come for you. You've not recognized your need. I've come for those who recognize their need. Righteous is sort of used ironically while sinners, they are the humble. The ones who hear and respond to the call of God. So it's, it's like Jesus is giving a diagnosis and the diagnosis is this. If we don't come to the place in our life where we realize we are sick, we'll miss Jesus. If we don't come to the place where we realize we have a need for Him, we have a desperate need, that we are sinners, and, 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 and in that state of being a sinner, we're helpless. But that's why Jesus came, because God showed us His love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to say, I'm going to get my life together. He died for us on a cross. So the diagnosis is that's us. If, if we want to know Jesus, if we want to know God, it starts by us saying, okay, I have a problem. We had a doctor back in North Carolina that a lot of my buddies and I knew. And, and this doctor was notorious in his diagnosis for saying this. I think it's a virus, but I'll give you some antibiotics just to be safe. So, I mean, he would say this all the time, so much so that my buddies and I just started joking and we would say, oh man, I have a headache, and one of us would jump in, it's probably a virus. I'll get you a prescription for antibiotics. Or, man, my back hurts, I'm getting old. Oh, it's probably a virus. Let me get you some antibiotics, we'll fix that right up. And we would just laugh about this diagnosis because we're like, the diagnosis is always the same. In a sense, Jesus' diagnosis is Always cutting to a deeper, deeper issue. Saying, here's your need. You need me. That's why I came. Now, here's the thing that we've got to understand. The crowds were amazed. The crowds were astonished at his teaching. But the reality is, nobody really understood what was going on until after Jesus' resurrection. Nobody fully understood what was going on they just got glimpses. But we have an advantage. We have an opportunity to see the whole picture and to see the things that Jesus taught, but also in light of He's on His way, the whole book of Mark, to a cross. The whole entire book of Mark, it's as if He's on a pathway that's leading straight to a cross. And every teaching that He gives is in light of He is going to sacrifice Himself because He loves us. But then even beyond that, every teaching that he gives is in light of this fact. He dies, but God brings him back to life. He conquers himself, so his authority is manifested more than anywhere in the fact that he once was dead, and now he's alive. And if he has victory over death, then he has victory over hell, and he has victory over sin, and there's nothing we should fear. And so Jesus continues to speak to us today to say, it, it is about your past and it is about what has gone on and it is about you can be free and you can be delivered. 
It is about your present and whatever hurts and whatever things are going on in your life that he has the authority to forgive and move in your life. But it's also about your future. And it's also about the direction and the purpose of your life. And Jesus would say, wherever you are, whatever you do, follow me. Follow me. And you may say, but, but that's scary. What if I say that and Jesus asked me to do something that's hard? And I would turn around and say, yes, it may be scary, but what if Jesus asks you to do something and it's amazing? What if Jesus asks you to do some things that are a little bit uncomfortable and you're a little bit worried But you begin to find life like you've never known it before. You begin to find hope and peace. You begin to hear his teachings and and they mean more to you than any words you have ever heard in your life. What if, on the good side, the things that God has planned for you are beyond your wildest imagination? The impact and the influence he wants you to have on your home and in your workplace and everywhere you go in your neighborhood is so impactful and so life-changing for those around you. What if? And so we see in a story like this that as Jesus begins to call people, it's not based on who they are. It's not based on what they've done. He says simply to those who are the most despised of culture, follow me. He says to those who don't really have much to offer, follow me. Me. He says to those who are held back, whether it's imprisoned by um, physical suffering or spiritual suffering that's going on, he sets them free to follow. I just wonder if where you're at and what's going on in your life, would you be so willing to say, okay, I'll follow you. I've tried to fix myself. I've tried to deal with these issues on my own. But today, Jesus, help. I realize I'm one of those you're talking about in this verse. I'm not healthy. I'm the sick. I realize I I desperately need you. And you've come to call me. And I'm willing to respond. I love this quote I found by a scholar, N.T. Wright. He said, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that life itself became life and walked in our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world or it is a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play-acting. Most of us unable to cope with the saying of either of those things condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. He says most of us don't want to deal with the implications of who Jesus really is and what that means for our lives, so we just choose to be superficial. He says you go to a doctor only when you have a health problem that you can't deal with yourself. When you feel you can't get better through self-management, what do you want from a doctor Not just advice, but intervention. You don't want a doctor to say, yes, you're sick. You're like, duh, that's why I'm here. You want some medicine. You want treatment. And here's the good news. Jesus has this unbelievable ability to intervene. 
in whatever you're going through, in whatever is going on, to meet you in your pain, to meet you in your mess, to meet us in our worry, our anxiety, the concerns of life, whatever it is, and to lead us through. Step by step by step. Will you follow? Dear Jesus, we pray today for the faith to follow, to trust you, to know that you will not lead us astray. And God, some of us come with with such um, issues from the past, God. But those issues are a lens through which we see all of life. God, I pray that today we would meet Jesus, our Deliverer. And some of us, in the, in the midst even of a moment like this, the very present moment we're in now, we're hurt, we're scared, we're wounded, and it's hard to see. It's hard to see you. Or maybe even for some of us, we're so full of pride. We're so self-seeking. It's hard to really see you. Hard to hear your call. I pray that today we would be amazed by you. I pray today that we would be astonished at you. You would open up our eyes and see that you have all authority. Your words are words of life. And specifically, you have the authority to forgive, to heal, to deliver, to set free, to cleanse. God, for the direction of our life as we all wonder, what does life look like a year from now, five years from now? Would we know that the best picture of our life is seen in light of us saying, yes, I will follow you because your dreams are better. Your plans and your purposes are more fulfilling and satisfying than anything we can dream up on our own. So we say, yes, Or let us say, yes, I pray, to follow you every step. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.